It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you get all the savings coming up in a few minutes. We are not doing a Clark Rageous moment today. Instead, we're doing a sizzling deal that will get you a lot of free travel without a lot of sweat on your part. And that'll be your long in just a little while and later this hour. So the fiduciary rule is in danger of going into oblivion. And this is a very important thing. It's what forces someone who's giving you financial advice to work in your best interest instead of working to hurt you. And there's a lot of turmoil going on with that right now. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to protect yourself while Washington plays its games. So I need to tell you that the intensity of people's concern and questions that keep unfolding about the Equifax breach, it just seems to be intensifying Part of the reason is that Equifax has botched the response that they've had since and also the promises they've made to consumers they have failed at. One of them is that people who are following the steps I recommend to put in a security freeze, Equifax's systems keep uh, overloading. Someone will complete the security breach and then they don't get their secret code. There's no confirmation it's in place. And... So I still have no answer even at this moment to what people should do about that. We're waiting for an answer on that from Equifax. But on the other question that came up where Equifax had used a very ineffective system to generate the pins that, as I said at the time, my 12-year-old son would be able to crack their codes, Equifax says that within 24 hours they should be ready with an ability for you to reset your pen to a safe and secure pen. If you're not familiar with how this works, when you put a credit freeze in place, you're issued a secret code. As long as that secret code is held and harbored by you, a criminal cannot apply for credit as if they're you and successfully get that credit. Well, one of the things that was exposed after the Equifax story came to light about the 143 million person security breach is that Equifax was using a um, off-the-shelf, uh, very elementary, lame system for generating pens that a criminal could crack in just a few minutes if somebody was specifically targeting you and wanted to apply for credit as if they were you, even if you had a credit freeze in place. So as that's come to light, Equifax has been scrambling to come up with an effective pen generation system. And as soon as I have the green light, I'm going to alert you at Clark.com that it is time for you to go change your pen with Equifax. You should not have to do all this work. It's just the way it is. Now, the problem is the Equifax breach it puts you vulnerable for the remainder of your life. The information that is out there on roughly two-thirds of Americans with credit files is so extensive 
that the criminals have your date of birth, your name, current address, prior addresses, social security number, many people driver's license numbers, credit card numbers. I mean, this is this is the big deal. And so I was reading a story in an industry publication yesterday that now people in the banking industry are freaked because they're really worried that they'll end up with a lot of economic losses because they'll extend credit to the fraudsters and that they have no good way right now to verify people's identity to who they really are. And so (laughs) I think about Apple with um, their star-crossed launch event for the iPhone yesterday that led to their stock decline today when their facial recognition thing didn't work in the demo. They'll get it right. But the fact is, the Equifax breach emphasizes how important it's going to be for us as a country to come up with a biometric system or a variety of biometric systems that you and I are comfortable using, whether it's a fingerprint, eye scan, uh, voice pattern, any of a number of things. Now, as someone pointed out in our daily staff meeting when, when TV, radio, digital, our off-air advice team, we all get together and talk about what's going on that we should be addressing and what we're hearing from you, someone said, well, Someone could just record me on the air, take the key words, have the voice pattern, and at any service that I use where my voice is my password, they would be able to, I just said it right there, you'd be able to get into my accounts. So yeah, there is no perfect solution. It's all about putting up roadblocks to people who are up to no good. And the current way we've done things doesn't work anymore because of Equifax. And so we're going to have to dial up new ways to do things. Now, I wanted to say we're getting overwhelmed at our off-air advice center. And remember, you can get free off-the-air advice 45 hours each week from a member of our team. I was just in our center just moments ago, and the queue holding calls back is pretty large right now. And as I told you yesterday, 98% of our call traffic right now is questions about the Equifax breach. And so we're doing the best we can to get to you. If you want to call in, you have specific questions, scroll down on the main screen of Clark.com. You'll see the number, the hours, we're open. But one of the points I want to make is so many people are having trouble reaching a human at Equifax. Don't bother. Don't bother. The people they have answering your calls, they're not actually Equifax employees. They're call center workers. They're not properly trained. They don't know what to tell you, really. And all they try to do is sell you Equifax junk you have to pay subscription fees for. Shame on them. Because of the technical problems with setting up credit freezes with Equifax, put it on your calendar to try in another week. Their systems aren't up to up to snuff. They're not robust enough to handle the demand and give it some time for that demand to ease off and it seems i'm not hearing that problem at all with doing credit freezes with transunion or experian so give the equifax thing another week and at our website 
based on your feedback, we're continually refining the way we provide the briefings to you on the data breach and the steps you need to take. I appreciate all your feedback and suggestions. We're going to do everything we can to get it right. And uh, by right, I mean get it where it's the most precise and concise for you with a busy life to not have a new part-time job trying to clean up Equifax's mess as it relates to you. And I have put out a request for a face-to-face television interview with the CEO of Equifax. So far, he's not done any media interviews. And let's face it, the Equifax people know I haven't liked them forever. So I don't know that that I will be granted an audience. But they need to address their critics straight on. They need to address the public straight on. They're a very insular company. You know, if you look on the internet and you look at their headquarters, I've been there before, it is the most withdrawn building you could ever see. It is like, it's like a Defense Department high security facility. They are not used to having to deal with the public, but they better learn because we have suffered because of them. Brittany is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brittany. Hi, Clark. Brittany, you are thinking of changing jobs. Let's see if I can be of help to you. Okay, so a little bit of a background. Um, I studied four years for a bachelor um, in healthcare administration. And then you got your job on the International Space Station, which is what your cell phone sounds like right now. I know. I can hear feedback. I don't know why. (laughs) Well, you know, that happens, you know. It's hard for the calls to travel that far from the space station. <laughs> you know, we think we think it may have been a technical thing at our end. You're fine now. Okay. Um, so i uh, looking for a job since I've graduated, which was in 2014. And um, I have just been offered a job at the hospital uh, for patient care um, in financial services, which is taking care of patients' billing problems, people who can't pay their bills on time, things like that, but also work for the post office. And um, me and my husband are having a disagreement on if I should take this job or stay with the post office, um, which post office pays more, but it's not full-time. I'm guaranteed one day a week at the post office. And this job that I'm being offered is full-time, Monday through Friday, 7 to 2.30. So I don't know I don't know which side who's on, but I would say because your goal is to progress in a career mm-hmm. that having a full time job, do you get benefits at the hospital? Yes, full time. Uh, if you have a full time job with benefits, you could look at that as an entry level ground floor and with a bachelor's degree, there's any of a number of jobs that will become available to you once you're inside a big hospital system. Uh-huh. And so my bias would be towards that. Okay. Now, I, I was, I'm wanting to take the job. Yeah, I'm, uh, with, I'm with you. Now, the, the other possibility, though, and this is something you need to talk to the postmaster at the post office you're working part-time, mm-hmm. uh, there's... Um, a problem with the Postal Service that their employee base has aged out 
and they're going to need an enormous number of workers, even with the amount of first-class mail delivery declining, it's uh, the number of workers that are aging out is happening quicker than mail is declining. So I would talk to your local postmaster and say, okay, I've got this job over here that I'm thinking of taking. What is the actual opportunity here? Because you got nothing to lose at that point, right? Well, I've talked to him about it, and I'm the last person in my office to be hired on, which was a year and a half ago. And he said it could be anywhere from 15 to 20 years before I came. Okay, you got your answer. You got your yeah. answer. <laughs> Go take the job at the hospital. Okay. I, I, I just feel like there's endless possibilities at the hospital. Exactly. The exactly. Office. You just go for it. And you okay. did exactly what I would have wanted you to do. You'd have already done it. You got your answer that the Postal Service is going to remain a never-never land for you. Mm-hmm. So go to that hospital where maybe a lot of great things will happen. Okay. that's. I, I just wanted a little bit of a kind of professional advice to tell my husband before I definitely took the job at the hospital. Now, you're not going to do real well with your husband when you say Clark said. He's going to say, I don't care what Clark said. But actually... It's the right choice, Brittany, to take that job. Normally at this time of day, you'd be hearing a clark moment, but instead today, a sizzling deal. So there's been all this fuss about these uh, rewards cards that are geared towards ultra-wealthy people that they pay massive annual fees for, $450, $550, and give them all kinds of perks and lounges and all that. But that's for a sliver of the market. For most people, it's just how can I get a deal in my everyday life? So there's one that hasn't gotten any publicity at all that's a fantastic sleeper deal. Southwest Airlines has a Visa card that right now if you sign up for it, you can get 60,000 bonus points if you get the card. You have to pay $69 for the card. It's an annual fee. And then in the first three months, you have to be able to afford to do what I'm about to tell you. You have to spend $2,000 total on the card in the first three months. Now, if you can't handle that, forget this card. But let me tell you the advantage if you can handle that. So Southwest takes a lot less points to redeem a free ticket. And when they offer sales, the free tickets, I'm looking right now at at what they call real-time availability. I'm looking at how many points it takes for trips later this fall. And a lot of them you can redeem and get a free round-trip ticket for just under 5,000 points. So if you're getting 60,000 for having the card, if you redeem when they've got a great point sale, you could effectively generate 12 free round-trip tickets from a single $69 annual fee. 12. Now, even if you're not that good at looking for deals, you will easily get four free round-trip tickets out of this. And if you are just hideous at handling redemptions, you could get two or three free tickets out of this. So no matter how you slice it, this 
is a phenomenal deal. So let the big money crowd get their $550 annual fee credit cards that get them all kinds of perks. But for you, if you just want to get a deal, the Southwest Visa card, it's the thing. There's no blackouts or anything like that. The points required change are different for every flight. you got to be flexible. But what a deal you can get right now, and it is a true screaming deal. Now, if you are somebody who's got the big bucks that you spend and you like to do really great things, look at the British Airways Visa, that if you can jump through all their hoops, you get 100,000 points, likely getting you a free business class ticket round trip to Europe. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. And if you want to follow me on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I'm going to be uh, in Florida the next three days serving listeners and viewers in the state of Florida that are reeling from the aftermath of Irma. I'll be doing town halls and doing Q&As on radio and television. And it is the least I can do, and I wish I could do more. I saw a video clip a few minutes ago of a nun in Miami and her full nun, um, what do you call the clothing and habit? The f- the full thing. Habit. Habit, yeah. The full thing. And she's out there running a mean chainsaw. I mean, if I tried to use a chainsaw, I'd probably just cut myself. And she was doing it like she was a lumberjack. It was very impressive to see that. And there's going to be so many incidents where people do so much for each other as Texas, Louisiana, and Florida principally rebuild additional damage in Georgia and some other southern states from the aftermath of Irma. And I look at the hardship that we have, which is no power for a third day is like nothing, except yesterday when I took a shower, the water was still lukewarm and it didn't really bother me. Today, I go to take a shower and it was like I was jumping into Niagara Falls in January. It was so cold. I had no idea how soft I've gotten over the years. When I used to go on canoe trips in northern Minnesota and Canada, and we'd be out in the wilderness and uh, you know, you'd be really stinky, smelly, and you'd jump in the lake to clean up, and that water was, I mean, it wasn't literally freezing, but it was extremely cold, probably water temperature in the low 50s, and maybe I was just too young and clueless to realize how awful cold it was, and then I get in a shower, and I, who knows what the temperature is, I guess it's like 60 degrees or something, and I was whining, I mean, it was just really something, but it's a lot that people are going to have to deal with. Unfortunately, for some people, it'll be years till full recovery. For others who receive glancing blows, it'll be a pretty quick recovery. And so being without power, so what? You know, because that's the only, uh, gosh, you can't even use the word hardship for that. Inconvenience, unless there's medical equipment hooked up to it. And 
want to talk about something that's way more than an inconvenience. There's been a fight for years about forcing people who sell you financial products to not take advantage of you. It's so simple and easy. People who sell you financial products, after you've worked hard over your lifetime as you've worked to save money, you should know that the people selling you something are putting you first, that they are doing what's best for you. Unfortunately, in the United States, the law allows a stockbroker, an insurance salesman, somebody uh, peddling financial advice to you to smile to your face and stab you in the back. They are allowed to sell you something that pads their wallet at your expense. They are allowed to put you in something that is not good for you, but is great for them. And there was a minor effort to require what's known by the term fiduciary standard that anyone that was giving you advice about retirement funds, that they would have to put your interests first. And now the lobbying arms of the insurance industry and the stock brokerages and all that have put into doubt that something that already was law will actually be enforced. Now, several states have reacted with vengeance to this. Nevada and Connecticut have bills that are going to force fiduciary standards on people that sell you investment products. And now any of a number of states are in the process of doing that Wall Street Journal reports that California is looking at, in the face of the federal government turning its backs on the American people, that California is looking at putting into place, again, what's known as a fiduciary standard. You know, you would not think, and I ask people all the time when they ask me an investment question, financial question, insurance question, I say, well, you know, I'm not an investment professional. I have no licenses to do that or anything like that, but I'm happy to answer your question. I just have to say that because I can't misrepresent and hold myself out as that, just like I do when something touches on the law and I say I'm not a lawyer. And I'll say, and something will come up and I'll say, well, how do you get your financial advice now? And they'll say, well, I have this, usually it's this guy. What happened to women giving advice? They always say that guy. Anyway, and I'll, I'll ask questions. I'll say, well, what do you know about this person? Do you know if they're a fiduciary? I always ask that just to gauge if people know that word. And I'm met with blank stares. People really don't know that the person who's helping them may not be under any legal requirement to do what's best for them. Now, there are many people who choose to be a fiduciary, but there are many others who pretend that they're your buddy but they're really not. And I need for you to be aware of this, that when you are thinking about money you have worked so hard and sacrificed to save, you don't want somebody taking advantage of you. And I just don't get it. I just don't understand why the people who represent us don't put in place with teeth 
a requirement that someone who we trust with the money we've worked hard to save that could be squandered or stolen in a moment by somebody taking advantage of us, why there's not a requirement under the law that they have to work in our best interests. So now you know they don't generally, and so you got to be on your guard. Now you may be with somebody who even though he or she works for an organization that doesn't follow a fiduciary standard, you may really trust that individual. But understand that that is a human relationship and that individual is going beyond what he or she is expected to do and guided to do by who they work for. That they are there to work against you, not for you. And they have to be someone of such strong character that they overcome the culture of where they work to put you first. So be aware, if you've got a really good person like that man or woman, they're working against the whole system they're employed by. Keep your eyes and ears open. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dave. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, Clark. So speaking of this, you want to talk about life insurance. (laughs) I want to know, but I, uh, uh, yes, I guess to some extent I do. All right. Hit me with it. Well, per your advice, uh, my wife and I have taken out um, level term uh, life insurance policies about 10 times our our salaries. So you're a Uh, brilliant man. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, I guess I'm taking the advice from another brilliant man, so I'll give you the credit. Anyhow, talking with another insurance provider, just trying to find out... uh, if everything that we have is going to be adequate, they have recommended a, uh, a disability insurance policy to kind of cover any shortfall between what my employer will cover in short-term and long-term disability uh, versus the, the income that I'm accustomed to or that my wife uh, or family is accustomed to. And then secondarily, they are recommending a long-term care policy. Uh, they've indicated that... Uh, probability is high that either my wife or I, by age 65, will be receiving some type of long-term care, and the way they have pitched it is the concern is that that one spouse receiving long-term care could deplete our retirement savings and leave the other uh, spouse without any retirement uh, um, after that event. Everything you've said is, uh, is true. So let's talk it through and see what practically makes sense. Okay. So disability insurance is very important, and almost nobody ever buys it. Because you have, between now and age 65, the stats I've seen, you have a three times greater chance of being disabled, unable to work, than you do dying by age 65. And so there you are, you're, you're still with us, but you can't produce an income, and in fact, your disability may increase expenses. Mm-hmm. So having disability insurance is really, really uh, a key check mark that I like for you to have. Now, you said something, though, I'm trying to follow. Your employer offers both short-term and long-term disability? That is correct. So if you have that, I don't know why you would need additional disability. You can't insure against every eventuality in life do you know does your employer cover 60 percent or 70 percent of your income when you're disabled 
60%. Okay, if your employer offers an option for you to pay a little payroll deduction each payroll cycle and step it up to 70%, I'm more comfortable at 70. But if you already have it from an employer, if they don't let you go to 70, I think the 60 is minimally adequate and you should not devote additional personal resources to buy a third insurance policy. Well, I think the one concern, one caveat with the disability through my employer is it does have a maximum. And so if my compensation, if my salary exceeds, uh, I guess I should say is exceeds whatever that level would be, then it's going to be a decreasing scale. It'll no longer be a 60%. Got it. So if you are a highly compensated, so if you're a highly compensated employee, Dave, does your employer let you waive out of their long-term disability if you provide proof of your own? I don't know. That would be a question to ask, and you may, in fact, get a fatter net check in that case because they have a real cost with the disability. And then if you can medically underwrite on your own that wouldn't have the tight uh, payroll cap and you could buy one from this individual at 70% of your pay, that would be a good idea. Okay. So that I gave a lot of caveats and a lot of homework for you. That's now let's fine. move to the long-term care. How old are you and your wife? Uh, mid-40s. Way too young to look at long-term care insurance. Just concentrate on the disability for now and get the answers on that. Long-term care, that market's going to change a lot in the future anyway. And the time that you and your wife should be focusing on that is late 50s, early 60s. Other priorities are higher priorities at this point and stage of your life than long-term care insurance. So I like the sentiment of what you've heard from the individual you met with, but I think on the long-term care, it would be money better spent elsewhere as a higher priority right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nicole is with us. Hello, Nicole. How are you doing today? Hello. Hi, Nicole. Hi. So, Nicole, you are looking to save money? Uh, I am. I am a big sister of three very small kids. Um, four, eight, and 14. And I've actually already been saving for them um, for some future need that they're going to have when they grow up. I created a custodial account. Um, So far, I've only been able to tuck away small bits um, for every paycheck that I've had. So I've only had 200 for each kid. I'm now in a position where I should be able to be putting in a little bit more every month into their accounts. 
So I just wanted to check one that uh, custodial account was the best option, if there was anything else that I should be doing. Well, first um, of all, you're a phenomenal big sister. <laughs> Thank you. That's really, really great for you to do this for your younger siblings. So tell me in your family what the culture is about going to college. Uh, they're definitely going to be pushed, and I know right now they're striving towards it. Um, I mean, with a four- and nine-year-old, it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. But uh, Oh, definitely. you just brainwash a kid that young. <laughs> so the most effective money you can put aside for your siblings is to put it in a college savings plan. The 529. Right, because then the money grows tax-free and then used for college, it's spent tax-free. And with three siblings, you got pretty good odds that, uh, based on his national averages, that two out of three of them will go to college. Mm, yeah. I looked into the 529. What I didn't like was that you are stuck with, like, you can only use it for educational savings i at the end of the day if they get scholarships or whatnot i I would like more flexibility which is why okay i got the plan for you yeah okay still keeps us in the 529 realm so you got one who is five six years older than the others right yep so what i would recommend is that you front load money for the 14 year old okay and let's say the 14 year old scholarships out and there's no okay. need for the money for college or chooses not to go to college, okay. you are allowed to change the beneficiary designation, tax and penalty free, to either the nine-year-old and the four, or the four-year-old or just move money to the nine-year-old. Nine-year-old ends up needing money for college, great. And if they don't, then the money goes to the benefit of the four-year-old. Mm, yeah. So I was thinking that. The only other thought that I had, though, was, I mean, when I graduated from college, I know I needed help, and I didn't have the help that I needed sure. financially to pay for first month's rent. So that's the only thing. He, he the, the oldest one, wouldn't be able to benefit, um, you know, if, if he gets a scholarship. Right, that's right. That's great, but he doesn't get anything. So, that's so, why uh, I, so I'm talking about, so I'm, when I'm looking at it, when I look at it, I look at it through the prism of what's the most effective way to get the biggest bang out of each dollar you want to put aside for your three siblings. Mm-hmm. And, but you, you're right, you give up some flexibility doing it that way, but the 529s have very low costs. Are they, uh, do your siblings live in New York State also? No, they are part-time are abroad, which oh. is a little bit more complicated. All right, then, then if you want to throw out the 529 and do what I would like for you to look at doing is doing, because uh, of how young they are, do a custodial mm-hmm. investment mm-hmm. account instead okay. of doing savings. Okay. And look at look at places like uh, Charles Schwab would be a great source potentially to do a child's custodial account. You can open those with very low costs and put them in um, one of the Schwab intelligent portfolios that are very low cost, very easy to set up. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now 
you'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com newsletters.